Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started tom is the co-founder and ceo at jebit which was named one of the top 25 most promising companies in the world by cnbc he is also a forbes 30 under 30 honoree In this conversation Tom shares how he started his company while still in college and how that has been an advantage when it comes to culture leadership and working remotely. He reflects about the difficult times he faced early on and the important role of transparency in organizations. Hey Tom, welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Thank you, excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Can you begin by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do? Sure. My name is Tom Coburn. I'm co-founder and CEO at a software company called Jebit. We're a marketing technology company, and it's a company I started in college, technically 12 years ago now. So, this has been my only real job to date. That's quite interesting. Can you take us back to that beginning or even before that? How did you get interested in entrepreneurship or how did that happen yeah i was not one of those kids growing up that like always knew i was going to be an entrepreneur i wasn't like running the lemonade stand in the neighborhood or things like that um i always wanted to be a doctor my grandfather's a doctor he's 82 years old and still practices in his small town outside of boston where he grew up and i always loved science in school i always saw i'd go to his office and go around chat with him and see the work he was doing and how positively he was impacting like the lives of families in his town and how much they valued him and respected him and such so that's the route i thought i was going to go so i went to college in boston at boston college and i got there in 2009 and i was i premed major working in the lab getting ready to take the mcats all of those things you've got to do to go become a doctor in the us and my roommates were in the business school and our business school had a business plan competition. It wasn't like a class you had to take or anything. It was just a club you could basically join after school and every spring you could submit a business plan and 
you could pitch a Shark Tank style pitch in front of judges and you could win $10,000 for your business idea. And so I decided to do that competition with my friends just for fun. And that started leading me down the path of entrepreneurship. Mm, yeah. And did you then decided to like drop out or did you complete the med school or how did that went out after that? Yeah, I never completed college. I didn't finish undergrad. I ended up in year we submitted our first year of college. We submitted an idea to the business bike competition and we didn't make it past the first round. Our second year, we came back with a new idea, which ended up being the start of the idea for Jebit, although we changed the idea a lot. And we ended up winning the competition with that idea. And one of the judges was an investor in Boston and alumni of our school. And he invited us to work out of their office over the summer. And we did that and learned a lot from him and the other investors and the other entrepreneurs that venture capital fund had invested in. And that's that summer, which was the summer of 2011, is what really changed my life because this Jebit project went from just a fun thing with my friends, but I was still going to go to medical school to really lighting the fire in me. And, oh, I actually think I might want to be an entrepreneur and I might want to build this business. And so I was mentally ready to drop out of school after that summer and go do business full time. But I think we had one customer for $200 by the end of that summer. So we didn't quite have the resources for me to support myself or raise money. And so I built the business for another year and a half from school. And then we raised about 500,000 in a seed round at the start of my last year of college. And once we did that, I decided to finish that first semester, but not finish the last semester and graduate. Mm. So, Yeah. Yeah. And how easy was it to let go of that dream? I think since you mentioned, right, you have grown up like seeing your grandfather. Was it easy internally? Was yeah. it difficult shift or was it an easy shift? So to give you a little bit more context on the decision, I had already been accepted to medical school. So I was set to enroll in medical school in Boston that fall. And then this was around January. I was deciding, do I start second semester or do I leave? And the thing that made it an easy decision for me was I talked to both my dean at my college and I talked to the dean I was going to have at the medical school. And I just asked them both for a one-year leave of absence. And they both said, sure. And they gave me a piece of paper to sign and I signed mm -hmm. it. They both basically said, we'll hold your spot for a year. So in my mind, it was actually, once I knew that, it was a really easy decision. It was, my heart wants to go try this business right now. I'm going to go do it. I've done the things to be safe, but if it doesn't work out, I can go back and graduate and I can go do what my plan was going to be. And then a year later, we had raised $2 million in funding and we had 12 employees. And so then I asked them if I could have another year of deferral. And they both said, no, they both said, you either have to come back to school now or you're going to lose your spot. But at that point, like the decision, I had already made the decision. I, we were raising money. We were growing the team. Like I was all in on the business at that point. So it also was an easy decision then. So I guess I think I thought that one year decision would have been the harder decision, but since we were off and running, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to leave our investors and leave our team and go to school at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And can you share about the journey since then? I'm sure like any entrepreneur, there have been like times which have been good. There might have also yeah. been setbacks. And did you ever doubted your decision to, to drop out? I never decided, doubted the decision to drop out, but yes, to your point, it was not just a... <laughs> Up until the right, everything went great. It can look that way if you just look at it from afar. We 
We've raised close to $100 million in funding now, and we've continued to grow the business and raise money every couple of years. But yeah, behind the scenes, there's been so many low points and so many difficult moments. The first one being right after we raised the $2 million, we realized that the product we were running and the thing we had won the business plan competition with, we didn't think it was ever going to really work and really scale. And we told our investors, we think we needed to shut that product down and pivot to something different. But we didn't know what that different thing was going to be yet. And thankfully, we had investors that were supportive and said, look, we invested in you and your team more than we invested in today's product. So yeah, let's just agree to not hire any new people. So we keep the team small for now until we figure it out. But let's go start testing what new ideas you can build. And we agreed on a, we had a plan to grow the company from like 10 people to 30 people that year. This was 2013, 2014. And um, so they said, let's freeze the hiring plan. You can keep the 10 people you have. And we agreed once you hit X amount of revenue, you can then hire three more people and then five more people in 10. And I looked at that first revenue number and I was like, oh, I bet we'll hit that in three months. And so I was like, yeah, no problem. We're basically doing a three-month pause on hiring. And I think it took us two and a half years to hit that first revenue milestone. So whatever that is, 10 times longer than I thought it was going to be. So that's just the start of many, many of the ups and downs that we've got. Yeah. And as you said, the investors said that we invested in you, not in the idea. Did they also share what they saw in you? I can't remember specifically what they would have said, but if mm-hmm. I were to guess, I think they just saw a team that loved working together. I started this with a bunch of my friends and you know, there's some of us were technical and we're building the product. I'm not. I was out talking to customers and selling it with one of my other co-founders. And I think they just saw we were smart and we were hungry and we were working really hard and just wanted to win. And we were balanced in terms of our skill set. And I would guess it was things like that. What I will say is that all of the early investors who ended up investing had known me since the earlier college years. And so they had watched me for two years building this while in school. I'd send them an update every month. I'd send them a simple one-page update on the first of every month. So they were seeing the traction. It wasn't like they just met me out of the blue one day and said, hey, let's yeah. give $2 million to this 22-year-old kid. It was like they had seen we were dedicated and we were committed to making this work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. And as you shared about that journey, that three months went into two and a half years. What did that taught you and what other lessons ownership has taught you that maybe college couldn't? Just like the importance of mindset and perspective. Like we had some really low moments, as I'm sure you can imagine during those two and a half years, we tried like four or five different things that failed miserably. Some of them got a little bit of revenue, but like in the middle of that, we had a six month period where we didn't do a dollar in revenue because we had shut down some of the experiments and we didn't have anything new we were going with. And during that six month period was also when our bank account dropped below a million. So we now had gone from having 2 million in the bank from our fundraise to now under a million. And I think that was like an emotional hint to a lot of the team of like, uh oh, mm-hmm. the glass is half empty. Like we're running out here and. I had forgotten that I said this, but my co-founder reminded me of it after a big funding round we had last year when we were reminiscing on how far the business had come. And I guess I went in one day and I said, like, look, there's two ways we can look at this. We can look at it as we've burned through half the money that we've been given from investors and we don't have any idea what the product is going to be and we're still scrambling to figure it out. And 
we haven't done a dollar of revenue in a few months. Or we can look at it as someone just gave us a million dollars to go build anything we want. And we love working mm -hmm. together and we have a blank slate to go build anything we want. And he just said that like really helped like just change his perspective of the lens he was viewing every day of the work he was doing. And I, it's a cliche, like glass half full versus glass half empty analogy, but cliches are cliches for a reason. Like, I think, I think us all uniting on that perspective and having that mental reset of like, yeah, it's been hard. Yeah. We don't have a vision, but like two years ago, if you told us, Hey, someone's going to give you a million dollar check and you guys can just go build something together. Like we all would have said yes to that in a second. And of course we eventually figured it out and got out of product working and got the business to where it is today. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a wonderful perspective. And I think that is a choice that we have always, but we don't see that what is the default context. I think by that statement, you just change the context, right? Did we just burn totally. through money or did we just get caught new money? And that can shift the energy of the room, right? So now, right now, as you have also tasted some successes or some big milestones, can you share a bit about that? How has that impacted your own journey and your own growth as a leader? For better or for worse, we've continued to have big highs and then big lows, like back to back. And so for me, it's been a lot of just learning to try to just stay very even no matter what's happening. Like if things are going awesome and we're closing big deals and raising big funding rounds and people want to write articles about us and things like that, it's like not getting too high and too overconfident and vice versa, like in late 2019, we had to do a big layoff, which was the first time I'd ever done that as an entrepreneur. And that was after raising 20 million more dollars than where we were in the story I was telling you before. And so obviously after we had raised all that money, we were thinking, wow, we're just now we're going to finally just crush it. We were like, hey, we've been mm -hmm. through the hard stuff. We got through that. Like now we raised 20 million. Like now it's just going to be huge and the business is going to be easy. And of course, that wasn't what happened. We made some critical mistakes in our go-to-market strategy and I had to lay off a third of the company at the end of 2019. And so same thing I was just saying, like in those low moments, it's also not getting too low and not getting too down on yourself. And of course, admitting the mistakes and admitting where we went wrong and what we learned from it and what we're going to do better. Uh, but so I think, and I know this is what you do, you do interviews and you talk to entrepreneurs all the time. So I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but I think just knowing that this journey you're signing up for is going to be tons of highs and tons of lows. And, but it, you can keep that even mindset and a bigger perspective on like, this is normal. And any great CEO I look up to or founder, I've read their books on or listened to their podcasts. Like most of them have all had a very similar story. So you just realize that's the journey and it just helps get through those lower times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, thank you for being honest with that, right? That continues. That doesn't end. I think that's life also in a way, the ups and downs continues, but you also said that, right? This is the, probably the only thing that you have done. So you don't, haven't worked anywhere else. And do you think, totally. that, did that give you an advantage or did that give you a disadvantage, especially as you started to hire and maybe work with people more experienced than you and coming in from different backgrounds or different companies? How has that been? Yeah, definitely both. There's areas where it's a huge advantage and there's areas it's a huge disadvantage. One of our four company values is we talk about this idea of Shoshin. It's a Japanese term, but basically it's best translated as beginner's mind, but like approach everything you do as a beginner would. And I think because me and my co-founders had never seen another company operate, like we just 
approached everything from the idealistic view of how we thought it should operate, like the way we run things, the way the culture works, things like that. And so I think there's elements of our culture that still go back to our early college days and our naive state of where we were in a company. But like then on the flip side, like we've raised a lot of money from private equity now and we're scaling this business and it's a real business. And like there's a ton me and my co-founders have to learn about scaling and operating a business because we've never seen, of course we have advisors and we have people we talk to and things like that, but we've never been a part of and in the walls of like, a high functioning, a functioning fast company scaling to a hundred million in ARR. But like, of course we hire those executives, right? We've brought people in that we can learn from and we can work with every day because our management team is still split between three of us that have been here since day one and five of us now that we've hired since 2017 as we've been raising the money and scaling. So we could go on a lot longer, I'm sure, of other pros and yeah. cons of the fact that this has been my only company, but uh, those are the first two that come to Thank you for adding that. And I think that's also a context, right? That newness, you can take it as something which produces anxiety or something which threatens you, or you can see that as a fresh slate and say, what would I create? And many times in my work with uh, like entrepreneurs, they come from that pattern of what they think, the way they think that things yeah. should be. And sometimes I have to challenge them, right? That what if you have a blank canvas? How would you do it now? And I think what you said that you already had that. And in many ways, maybe you don't even realize how big of an advantage or a privilege that was for you. Yeah. Totally. And I'm just a big believer of like, we should just call a spade and say what it is. Like, I, that's just a fact. I've never worked at another company. So like to try to hide it or to try to act, mm -hmm. oh, I know exactly how we should be scaling this part of the business or things like that. Like that would just wouldn't be true. So it doesn't mean, obviously, I can't learn it. It doesn't mean we can't grow into it and strengthen those muscles, et cetera. But I think just stating the fact to the team of what the obvious things are and then saying, okay, now what do we do with that? And to your point, there's pros in that, there's yeah. problems with that. Natural strikes, weaknesses will come out. But I think that just helps everyone get aligned and there's no elephant in the room. It's just like, this is, yeah. this is what it is. Now let's go build a great company together. Yeah. So now coming back to today and also zooming in into a little bit into the future, can you share what is your vision for the future? What is it that you want to see in the next three to five years? What you are trying to do with your organization, but also your role. How is your role as a leader evolving in the organization? Yeah. So we raised, we raised 70 million from Vista, their large private equity fund about a year ago. And so obviously that has enabled us to just continue to invest in a, a new level of growth for Jebit. And what has come with that is us bringing on a lot of new executives to the team to really help me and my co-founders and our existing management team scale this business. So we brought on a CFO, we brought on a new CMO, we have a new head of sales starting soon. And so that's been really great because like I was talking about earlier, like it's a whole new level of challenges we're about to experience and a whole new level of growth we're going into. And so I've put a lot of time into growing our management team and evolving it. And the management team we're building now and we'll have over the next six, 12 months will look very different than what it was before. So that part's been awesome. And I'm learning a ton through that process. Um, but other than that, like we're, we are in a brand new market, like the market, we don't need to go super deep on our product unless you want to, but like the market we're in is around zero party data or first party declared data. It's helping brands get data directly from their customers with their customer consent. 
And there's a lot of privacy legislation out there right now that's changing the world of consumer data and really forcing brands to do the right thing and respect the privacy of all their consumers. And so the high level spark notes of it is that brands need to do a better job of going and getting data directly from their customers. And that's what we let them do. And so we're just spending a lot of time educating brands on the market and educating brands on the strategy of what they can do. And then, of course, letting them know, and hey, we have a platform that lets you do all of this. So for us, it's a really exciting time because even though Jebit's been around for a decade now, what we're doing and where we eventually pivoted the product to, which what we're doing now has probably been about 2017, the world's finally waking up to it. And so that's an exciting, it's an exciting moment for us because definitely for a lot of 2019, 2020, 2021, like we were getting the really early adopters, but most of the world hadn't really woken up yet to, okay, we need to go get this data directly from our customers. So the next phase for you then would be to capitalize on that and grow fast, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. And what challenges does that present? What is the biggest challenge that you or the organization faces in the near term future? At least where I'm focused, it's everything around culture and communication and getting everyone internally at Jebit, growing in the same direction, fully in sync with each other. Um, any entrepreneur you talk to will say like, a 50 person company is totally different than 20 and 100 is totally different than 50. As we get to, we're a little over 100 now, I'm sure as we get to 200 and 300, I'm going to be saying the same thing. And so that's where I put a lot of my time. And since COVID, we were a remote first company. So we have people everywhere. So a lot of my time is going into thinking about how do we best run the team? How do we keep everyone informed? Because for us right now, it is now the exciting part for me now is it's really just about execution. Our, we already went through earlier in this conversation how 2014, 2015, 2016, we had no idea what we were doing. We were waking up every day trying to find product market fit and find our vision. And really since 2017, it's been the same. When I get in front of the company every year to do our company kickoff in January, it's the same vision every year now. And so that part has been really exciting. And so a lot of the focus now is just on execution. Yeah. And how do you continue to invest in the culture, in the leadership right now? And again, coming back to where we started, since you have, this is the only place that you have been, maybe there are some things which you do very well, which the rest of the world doesn't know about culture and about leadership. Yeah. So can you share a bit about it? What is it that you do? And maybe what is unique about what you do because of that specific journey that you have had? One of the things I hear a lot from new employees when I get their feedback is they're shocked at how transparent me and my management team are. So again, to the way you asked the question, like, I don't know of anything else because I've never been in the walls of another company and seen what the CEO does or doesn't share. But that's something I hear a lot is that they'll say, yeah. wow, we really appreciate that. If you had asked me five years ago, like, what's one of the strengths of you and your management team? I don't think I would have said transparency, but I keep hearing that word given back to me. We spend a lot of time trying to get people in person and getting the right combos of people in person. So we get the whole company together twice a year now for a three-day offsite, once in January and once in July. So I think that time is really important. Uh, departments, most of the departments get together once a quarter in person in different locations around the country. Most of our employees are U.S.-based. My management team gets together once a quarter for two days in per two or three days in person. So like, there are things we, of course, do virtually to try to keep everyone in the loop, but I don't think you can really replace that couple days of all flying to a city together and spending days 
on a whiteboard, spending nights going out to get dinner together. I just think that's obviously there's a lot of positives that have come from being in this remote first world with flexibility and being home with family more and things like that. But I don't think you can replace that, that in-person time. Thank you for sharing that. I think transparency you shared as like one, one small thing, but I think it's huge. Even in established companies, people, even though they realize the importance of transparency, but because of the set patterns, it's so difficult to bring it in. And you mentioned something very relevant about like bringing people together, even in a word fully remote of a culture, because I think that mix is so important. And as you said, some things cannot be replicated in a remote world. Yet at the same time, I would like to add or ask you, what is it that you do in a remote and virtual setting that allows for that transparency? Is it more communication? Is it more video? Is it more dashboards? How do you do that tactic? Yeah. I'll send videos out to the team. Loom is like my new favorite product. I'm not using Loom at all, but yeah, I'll just, I'll have Salesforce dashboards up showing our metrics and I'll film a seven minute video and I'll talk through it and I'll send it to the whole company and I'll share my insights and things I'm thinking. So there's stuff like that. Every other week we have a virtual town hall. It's an hour where we all get on and highlight key different updates. Our product team just launched a big new feature. So they demoed it earlier this week. At least every other one of those, we do just an open Q&A with me. So people can submit anonymous questions ahead of time. They can ask live on the call. So I think a lot of it is just creating the space. I'd say like a huge chunk of it is us building trust with the team that we know we're going to give them real honest answers. Like they don't ask a question and I give some like high level political answer that doesn't actually answer the question. Like if I do that three times, they're just going to stop asking questions. So part of it's how we answer, but part of it is just creating the space and creating the forum so people can ask. Yeah. And do you see that also like circulating down the organization or is it only you who is doing that or your leaders also doing that with their own leaders? Oh yeah, definitely not just me. A lot of our leaders will also send out company-wide updates on how their department performed. And obviously like most companies, all our departments have their regular weekly or bi-weekly get-togethers and update on their more in the weeds goals and things like that. So I wouldn't guess there's anything structure-wise I'm saying that's that different than how most companies do it. So I think a lot of where our strengths probably lie is just how we go about doing it and how we go about interacting with the team more so than it is like, oh, this is the schedule on paper. That's, I think, pretty standard. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think maybe you don't realize and many other people don't realize that the power of those short seven-minute or even one-minute videos that leaders can share because I think that's a huge leverage that a lot of people are missing out on just because they are uncomfortable on camera. For a lot of people who have like grown up working in offices, suddenly being in front of a screen is already taxing. But then to speak to a camera and to send out a personalized message or to send out a global message is, is something so small, it has a huge impact. And yet people are not doing this because some of those patterns, maybe which you don't have to face because of your uniqueness. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I think that's very relevant to anybody who's listening to this. No problem. Yeah. 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 They should check out them. Yeah. And since you started, right, like once again from college and the ownership can really like suck life out of you. It can consume you. And college is a time when people are experimenting with all kinds of things. So can you share yeah. like the personal side of you? What is it that you do outside of like outside of being an entrepreneur? Sure. Um, 
there's a nonprofit I'm really involved with that I started with my eighth grade science teacher. He, it's called Enjoy Life Education, and we run a week-long leadership academy for high school students every summer, every July on college campuses in the Boston area. So that's something I'm really passionate about. And he's just become one of my best friends over the years. He was the best teacher I ever, he taught me his very first year of teaching. So he was 22 and I was 14 and he's just become one of my best friends and mentors and inspiration since then. But you could technically still put that in the quote unquote work category if you wanted, which yeah. I don't think is what you were asking about. Outside of work, I do a ton of things outside, snowboarding, mountain biking, hiking, fishing, golf, you know, like any of those things. I love playing basketball. So I normally play basketball a couple of days a week. I got pretty big into meditation in college. So that's something I do a lot. And especially just finding a quiet place in nature to meditate is something that is very like energizing and a helpful reset for me. That probably covers between the nonprofit and all of those things. You've probably covered the majority of the time I'm not spent either sleeping or doing jamming. Yeah, yeah. And what's the connection from like meditation and practicing all of those sports to what you do like with your nonprofit or with your company? A lot of the nonprofit, we talk about mindfulness and perspective and, mm. um, you know, how to generate a positive attitude through gratitude and things like that. So I think like taking that time to be mindful is like critical to creating the space for gratitude and developing a better perspective. As it relates to Jevin, I think everything I said earlier about not getting too high on the highs and too low on the lows. I think that's like one of the core benefits of meditation is just being able to sit there and get centered and get a little disconnected from just like your own ego and your own narrative that you're mm -hmm. living in every day. So there's a million benefits to meditation, but that's probably the, the most relevant one as it relates to trying to run a high growth software company. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's something I was actually surprised by hearing about meditation from you, because I think that is something which people pick up later in life after going through some setbacks or something turbulent. But I'm so glad that you are in this fast-paced world, but that there is something which has been supporting you and not just now, but all through the time. So, and I think that reflects yeah. in the, what you were sharing earlier, the highs and the lows, but trying to stay a bit grounded, both with the highs and the lows. Yeah, I got really lucky in college. You Boston College is a Jesuit school, so you have to take two mm -hmm. theology classes to graduate. And I just figured, hey, let me, I grew up Catholic. I knew a lot about, you know, Catholicism and Christianity and things like that. And there was a class on Buddhism and Buddhist meditation. And I was like, hey, I know nothing about that. Let's try that. And I just fell in love with it. It was the only class in college where I actually like read every book and every assignment they gave you. and. Yeah. The class ended and I was just like, I'm still going to get my hands on books from all these authors and I'm still going to develop a meditation practice, mm -hmm. that stuff. So uh, that, that was like by far the best class I took and most impactful class I took in college. Yeah. Yeah. And what advice would you give to somebody who has that high drive, high ambition, that hustle culture, all of that, but then also doesn't appreciate or sees the value in meditation, right? There is also a narrative that all of this is woo-woo or a waste of time, doesn't really work. So what? would be your advice to somebody like who really wants to take this forward, to take their success forward, yeah. but at the same time doesn't see the value in meditation or slowing down? I guess I'd say a couple of things. The first is if you do just sit there for 10 minutes, there's no quote unquote being good or bad at meditation. So 
if you sit there and your mind just races for a million miles an hour, 10 minutes about all the things you have to do and haven't done and things like that, like that doesn't make you bad at meditating. That's just you observing. You have a really busy mind right now. And if anything, you probably need more time just sitting to let all those thoughts go and calm down. But I've seen a lot of people start at it and they try it three times and they're like, I'm just bad at this. I can't get to a state of thinking about nothing. And it's like, I don't know, the analogy would be like, you're 30 years old and you've only sat on the couch watching TV. And then one day you decide you want to be a marathon runner. So you try to run 26 miles and you only make a half mile and you're like, oh, I'm not a marathon runner. I'm bad at this. It's like, well, you haven't, like, you've never tried, like you have to do it for a while. Like I, I remember the class was three months long and I remember it not like really starting to click until the end. You had to do it every day and you had to journal about your experience doing it every day. Like that was, there were no tests. There were no exams. It was just like, read this stuff, meditate, write about it and like submit it to the professor. It was a really cool class. And so, yeah, I guess it's be patient and don't judge yourself if you're quote unquote good or bad at meditation. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. And I think so much of entrepreneurship is like that, right? The things that we think that we are not good at, it's sometimes it's just a matter of practice, like dealing with difficult uh, emotions or dealing with tough conversations. It's a matter of like, have you done it before? Right? Then, then obviously it will be hard the totally. first time rather than saying that I am not good at it or I am not bad at it. So thank you for adding Absolutely. that. Yeah, yeah. And before we end, Tom, I think this would be a wonderful like interview for anybody to listen, given your unique uh, position and what you have managed to do before we end anybody who wants to reach out or keep tabs on what you are what you are up to what is the best way for them to do so shoot me a message on linkedin or emails just tom at javit.com thank you thank you tom i will make sure to include these with the show notes and before we end i want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you thank you thanks for the conversation thank you it was a pleasure that's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of, to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.